Amen. Praise God. Well, this morning, we're uh, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. I know that you just, there isn't a title or a text in the, in the bulletin this morning, but um, I'm not even sure what I would title it. I'm, I mean, titles are titles, right? But uh, let's just go to Mark, chapter 6, and verse 35 to 44. And I, before we read the text, as you're turning there, as you're listening, I just want to let you know that our text takes us to this stretch of land where Jesus is ministering. And it's filled with people that have, they've flocked, they've come together, as they often did, to hear Jesus teaching, to hear him preaching, to hear him proclaiming truth um, as God who came down to earth and as the messenger and the one who did the will of the Father perfectly. And it wasn't uncommon that all these people gathered on Jesus. Because if you read the Gospels, you see it all the time. And, but the, the historical event and what's recorded by, 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 by Mark here is also recorded in all the Gospels. And so it's probably pretty important that all the four Gospel writers record this. There's some little differences here and there, but they, they record the same event. And so we look at Mark's side of the story here in chapter 6 and, and begin with verse 30. Five, let's read to verse 44, which is, I think, to the end, correct? My, I have a bigger print here because my eyes cannot see, read my Bible, which is terrible. All right, I'm reading here. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry <clears throat> tour and told him all they had done and what they had taught. And then Jesus said, let's get away from the crowds for a while and rest. Let's get a breather. There were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. They left by boat for a quieter spot. But many people saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and met them as they landed. A vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. It would take a small fortune to buy food for all this crowd. How much food do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and they reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the crowd to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up toward heaven. And he asked God's blessing on the food. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples to give to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. I mean, just think about that. It's like watching Preston eat, just nonstop, and it keeps coming, and it's nonstop. They ate all they wanted, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 5,000 men had eaten from those five loaves. What a great story. We're familiar with Jesus' miracle of multiplying all this and how he did it, we're not going to discuss because he did it supernaturally. He did it his way and he made it happen. He fed all those people. But notice in our story that Jesus and his disciples, as I mentioned, were encountered by hundreds if not thousands of people, obviously, as the scripture says. 
It's interesting to note the fact that Jesus says to his disciples, let's get away from all these people and rest. Here's Jesus. He's the divine incarnation, the one who came from heaven, lived on this earth. He was human and people had the capacity. They had the ability to wear him out. We don't experience that, do we? People don't wear us out. They don't wear us out. People came and went, the gospel records. And not only in this gospel, but others. People came and went and implied something. And I'm going to go ahead and read into what it's implying. And I'm going to say that it implied that some were bored. Yeah, I heard enough of that. I'm gone. I'm leaving. Some were just tired because he was preaching for a long time. I'm out of here. I need my nap. Some were just curious. What's he talking? Eh, I'm not curious about that anymore. I'm leaving. Now, something else is, is itching my ear. I'm curious about something else. I've had enough. They're moving on. Some were very serious. They, they, they latched on to what he said about the teachings of Jesus and all the different reasons people were there. But people were coming and going while he's teaching. They came and they went. Some just came to get something from Jesus. Nobody does that today, do they? Maybe to be healed of their illness. And when they got it, They took off. Maybe to hear some little nugget of wisdom. And once it filled their brain, I had enough, I'm out. Forget the messenger, I just want the actual message in here. Jesus and his disciples, they just can't catch a break. Constantly swarmed in the masses all around them. And by the time they get to their destination across the Sea of Galilee, the crowds are already there because the Bible says when they knew they were going, they ran on the shore ahead of him. And as soon as they get off, well, you're all here. Right in front of me already. I'm getting off the boat and hundreds of people are waiting to hear from him all over again. You know, they're like uninvited guests, sort of. You know, it sounds like the paparazzi beating a a celebrity to their destination or even their home. And as soon as they get there, they're all there snapping away and asking questions. What do you think about this? How come this? And they're just swarming him. It's really not that unfamiliar. Immediately, when Jesus sees the crowd, which in a real sense has pursued him, right? He's filled with compassion. Now, I don't know about you, but even in our own little circles of just our family units, and it feels like you know we're swarmed with people in our family and family issues and kids and grandparents and mom and dad and long distance and this and that issue and this is going on and whatever, and, and we finally want to get a break and all of a sudden we get swarmed all over again and we're tired and we're weary and we just don't have any energy. And it, there is just no room, can I just be honest, for compassion. The only compassion is the one that I want from others. Like, have mercy on me. But Jesus shows compassion because he loved people. More than you and I can love people, but he loved people and he shows compassion. He doesn't get irritated or annoyed because he can't take a nap or he can't get in an extra 10 minutes with his coffee. How many opportunities do you and I miss Because we don't see people as they are. They need a shepherd. They need a savior. You know, it's really amazing that 
Somebody said with all these people around Jesus that the masses, and they made a a relation to to today and where we are today, that the masses have never been more vulnerable to fickle and volatile movements than they are today. Think about that. When people get into this huge crowd, this mass, we have it all around us today. It happens in physical things where you have protests, you have these gatherings, and you have celebrations, or you have whatever goes on in different places. But you also have this happening in a digital format with social media like never before. You have masses of people latching onto something and their emotions are tapped into or their cause or their purpose or they want celebrity status or they're pursuing a celebrity. But there's all these things that are, they're volatile and they're fickle and they change and they can be, they can erupt into all kinds of things through media, through personalities, through philosophies that are out there that are ruling the moment and the masses just follow. And you know what? It's no different with Jesus because Jesus leaves the choice up to this mass in the end when he teaches them. He doesn't force them to do anything. He's there and they're hearing the message of the truth. But today there are masses all around and we still choose Are we going to follow what we're hearing when the crowd gathers and it's the in thing and there's oh, there's thousands of people because it's opposition. Oh, it's resistance. Oh, no, it's pro-life. Oh, no, it's pro-abortion or whatever it is. And I'm not I'm not here. It's not about that. We're we're pro-life and I get that. But it's fickle. It changes with the wind. And all of a sudden, a politician says one thing and all of a sudden the masses, the whole crowd like sheep. You know, do you ever see a huge crowd of people? It's like this. Sometimes it gets crazy. And when people are like not happy, it gets even more crazy. And it's very volatile and things happen. It's always reported. Now, the Bible doesn't record that that happened. But my point is simply this. When there are people all around, Jesus sees them. He sees them for what they are. The masses are there. And he sees that they're sheep without a shepherd. They need someone to lead them. They need someone to speak to them. They actually need someone to speak for them for what their real need is. Their real need is right here. Jesus is doing that. He's teaching the truths of God about the kingdom. But he doesn't just blow off their physical needs too. He he gives that too. He speaks for them. He realizes they're hungry and tired. And if you're hungry and tired, you're not going to listen. Like some of you this morning, because you skip breakfast, you're thinking about brunch or lunch. Anyway, but listen, it's the truth. It's the truth. You know, how many of you have been kind of, I, I had this, this is years ago, before my sister was married, being her older, oldest brother, big brother, and she would call me and, and I, Take this out of the recording. Um, <laughs> you know, she still calls me. And honestly, sometimes it's at the most inopportune times. And she asks this question that, you know what, I really got to process and think. And like, I almost need, I got to pray about sometimes. But she calls at the most random times. And I'm like, no. Now, and I, I gotta stop and I gotta pause and I gotta realize that she's looking for direction, looking for support, she's looking for love, she's looking for, I get all that, yes, but, but I'm a big brother and she, for whatever reason she's calling, reaching out to me for something. Jesus, did, this happened to Jesus all the time. I mean, I'm not Jesus, so I, my patience runs thin and I, you know, I get annoyed, but Jesus didn't do that. But, but, She wants answers, looking for counsel, direction, attention, compassion. Sometimes, honestly, 
I just tell her I don't have the time to talk. <laughs> don't tell me you don't do that either. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. He withdrew himself. He got time, but he, did, he wanted the crowd sent away in some cases, but they chased him. They wanted to escape. They found him. The people Jesus encountered and they were swarming him were lost in their religion, their philosophy, their government, their occupation or whatever else permeated their lives and minds at that moment. They were consumed with that and they wanted answers and direction. They needed a legitimate leader, a shepherd. They had questions like this. When is the Messiah coming? And he's right there in front of them. But when is the Messiah coming? People ask that question today. Is the world really going to end? Is it really a Jesus? Is he coming back? Nah, and, and, and it's not going to happen. It's been the same way for so long. But the question still lingers. When is he coming back? And as Christians, we're waiting. We know time is soon, but when is he coming back? When is the Messiah coming? How about this question? It doesn't change from 2,000 years ago to now in this post, 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 modern, whatever culture you want to call it it is. It's all a mess, right? What is reality? What is reality? People are are asking that question and they're constantly answering it by themselves even though they're putting out there to get other people's opinions. They still answer on their own and they're creating their own realities. How about this one? In that time of Jesus, Herod is a terrible governor. What is he going to do next? Boy, that's relative to today. In our own state, in our own town, in our own country, in our own world. How about this one? And back in that time, how will I pay my taxes with such a small farm and meager income? Has anybody lived in Richmond lately? (laughs) (coughs) Anybody lived in Rhode Island lately? The question is, it's the same questions, right? Questions that still linger and bother us and fill us today. And And Jesus stops, even though it's in a different time and a And and we're in a different culture, but Jesus stopped back then. And in his weariness, he teaches them. He feeds their intellect and he nourishes their hope and their heart. And he bulks up their faith to point them to his father, the one true God. And as it's getting late, they continue to listen and listen. And now they're getting tired and weary until the disciples point out to Jesus as if Jesus didn't know. That the crowd is tired, hungry, and they need to get some food. And the disciples described their environment as desolate in verse 35. There simply wasn't much there. And the disciples challenged Jesus to take action in response to the circumstance of the people. And they say, it's late. Jesus, send these people away. Let them buy food at Dunkin' Donuts or Wendy's or Mickey D's or what's... Dragon Palace, that's what it is. Just down the road in the next village. And they have a logical and a very practical approach to meeting the needs of people. Oh, and and, and one other thought. It's hard to tell when you read our scripture. It's hard to tell if the disciples are actually concerned about the people or if they just want to get rid of the hungry crowd doesn't tell us, but I wonder. Maybe food was on their mind? How many times have we thought of ourselves before serving others first? 
Oh, it's easy when it's the infant kid who's crying and making a racket and we feed him first and we sacrifice our meal. We wait another hour to make sure they're fed and they go to sleep and get a good nappy nap, right? But how about just humanity and people around us and not even the practical things, but the spiritual things to offer their bread of life to them? Jesus. All around us, As we know, there is an inner hunger that people have that's not physical. Yes, we have bodies, we get hungry physically. But there is a spiritual hunger. That's why the crowds were there. They wanted something more. They needed something more. They had to fill the vacuum because everything from the law to the current leadership in their government and and nation was falling short and there was a vacuum there and the Messiah was right in front of them, the bread of life, the good shepherd. There's an inner hunger all around us. You know, it's like this. You should really check out that self-help book. It's going to help you. Try listening to this or that music. It'll soothe you. It can. It has qualities. It's a God thing. I understand. But, but go on a diet. Nothing wrong in and of itself. Go on a diet. Get a new job. You're, you're fed up with that job. It's driving you nuts. It's a, it's a roadblock. It's frustrating. It's Get a new job. Get out and party, man. Meet some new people. Do something crazy that you've never done before. It'll expand your horizon. And you'll have more experiences to talk about. Any vacuum that exists in the human heart can only be filled by Jesus. Permanently. Not temporarily. Permanently. Because really, all these things will fill a vacuum in your heart. For a while. Jesus fills it permanently. And Jesus says firmly to these disciples, who I don't know what their intentions really were, he says, he says it firmly, you feed them. You feed them. No, but let them go down the church. Let them go down to the other place. Let them get this book. Let them look into that. I'm going to send them to that website. No, you feed them. Well, how am I supposed to feed them? What do I do? Well, what do you got? What do you got? Do you realize what it would be like if the people were sent off into the villages to get food? It wouldn't be any different than, thank you, Lord, that I've only had this experience once or twice. When I pull into McDonald's with Preston and Cohen right here in town, and literally as I'm pulling in, the busload of 55 tourists from New York walks in. See you later. (laughs) Right? That's what it would have been like in the villages. We're not talking about like a million restaurants and big towns and all kinds of chefs and food ready to go. And then the disciples said, us? You want us to feed them? How are we supposed to do that? You told us in verse 8, if you look earlier in verse 8 in chapter, uh, this chapter in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, he says, don't take anything with you for your ministry. No, no extra clothes, no money, no... He, you read it. He says that there. No bread, no money, no bag with us. How are we supposed to go and feed these people? We need about eight months of income to feed all these people. Like, we have it. We're just fishermen, or we're just lowly people. We're simple. And you told us not to take anything. They looked at what they had, and they determined that they did not have enough to do the job. And Jesus, so what do you have? Really, what do you have? They finally found a kid, as you know the story. We have just five loaves of bread and two fish. 
Now listen, consider the supply and notice an amazing contrast in the verses that precede the text that we read. I know we didn't read it, but right before this recording of the feeding of the 5,000, Herod, who's the governor of the Roman Empire in that area, he's throwing a birthday party just before Jesus and his disciples face this need. Look at the contrast. It's an exclusive event held in a palace court or a ballroom, and in attendance are important people like rulers and military personnel with plenty of food and drink and and the the big donor who's the movie star in Hollywood, I mean, in Rome. I mean, and and they're there with plenty of food and drink and other things to boot. In the end, their ultimate form of entertainment for his birthday is that John the Baptist, who ushered in Jesus as the Lamb of God and his ministry, He's a messenger of God who is beheaded. What a tragedy. When God is left out of the equation, a loss, it's, there's no life, there's no addition or multiplication, but subtraction, it's a loss. And on the contrary, here's a gathering of a diversity of people where everyone is included and invited and Jesus is not pushing everybody out but saying, I got stuff to tell you. And you're not going to wear me out because he's moved by compassion. There's children, the elderly, there's poor, there's middle income, even tax collectors who were wealthy because they cheated. Anyway, most of them. Food is missing. In fact, it's lacking. There's no food. And the meeting place is a plain old green hillside, not a palace court. But Jesus, the good shepherd, is present. He's there. And it's interesting to note that even though the disciples use the word desolate, this place is desolate in the description of the terrain. In verse 39 in this chapter, Mark explains and records and says that the people are grouped on the, check this out, on the green grass. There's nothing there But they're sitting in green grass. And it's desolate. It's the hillside. It's dry. It's hot. But they're sitting in in green grass. What an awesome demonstration of the 23rd Psalm. That the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. No matter what's going on around you. You may seem like there's nothing there. It's desolate. But when the good shepherd is with you, man, it's all green. And he makes it all green. And he provides what you need. And he'll take you through. And he'll feed you. And he'll supply your need. And according to the sixth chapter of John's account of this story, the chronology places the event just before the Passover season. And you know what the interesting thing about that is? It's early spring. And it indicates that the rains could have come and caused the grass to sprout and grow. Man, God is always on time. He doesn't do anything by accident. It's always perfect. It's not incidental. God has a plan and purpose for everything. And Jesus brings new life. Amen. Just as the grass grew after the rain, Jesus put his love for souls into action and expected his disciples to participate in feeding the crowd. Now, Here's what it is as we come to a close. He's inviting them. And he's inviting us, you and me, to serve with love, goodness, kindness, and yes, truth, the gospel. As we feed lost and inwardly hungry people of New England. Have you looked around our world? 
And are you angered or are you moved with compassion? Are you going to be like Jonah who pouted because he didn't like the Assyrians? And when God told him to feed him the truth and then they, they, they responded to God, he got all mad? And you're hoarding God's grace? It happens so subtly and yet so quickly and deeply. And then our mouths, are, our lips are like stitched together. Just as God sent manna to the lost and wandering Israelites in the desert or a desolate place to sustain them physically, Jesus himself said in John's gospel, the bread of God is that which comes out of heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. A miracle was necessary, and the disciples gave what they had to Jesus. They took inventory, and all they found was these five loaves and two fish. I could just imagine Jesus' thoughts here. That's all I need. Just give it to me. Yeah, but all I got is to say, you know, I once was a sinner, and, not, and, and Jesus saved me. That's all you got to say. I once was lost, now I'm found. Do you know what Jesus did in my life? That's it. And it takes off, and you never know. And you never know what God will do and how he'll multiply your two sentences and make it something that explodes inside the hearts and minds of people who are hungering for the truth and the bread that will satisfy their spiritual hunger forever. You never know. That's all I need, Jesus is thinking. Just give it to me. And he takes it. And he dedicates it to God. And as a good Jew, the, the rule for praying would have meant that what he probably said was something like this. Praise unto thee, O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth. What's the point? What's the point? Without God's blessing, the five loaves and two fish are just five loaves and two fish. In the light of the need to feed thousands of people, it's just five loaves and two fish. It's all it is. But even in the smallest willful offering of our resources, of our shortest testimony, of declaration of truth, of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our lives, you know what? It can be multiplied beyond our imagination. Just when you think you don't have enough or the right thing to say or feed people with, Jesus multiplies what you give them. Do you know that most of us are the product of that? Somebody, even when your parents, and I know my own experience, even in your own parents, and all the times you went to church, and I went like 48 times a week, and you heard it over and over and over again, but something happened, and all it was, you know what? It was just one time when I was eight years old, and all those years, eight years hearing, blah, 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 up there, you know, Pastor Bob's preaching, ah, I'm going to go home already, ah, you know, and it just takes one thing, one thing, one phrase, and God uses that little thing, and Amen. boom! Amen. And my friend Darren, who was nine years old, we're like, whoa, we got to get saved, because you know what? If we don't, we're going to hell, and our sins aren't forgiven. And we ran to the altar. One little phrase from Dr. Harbarenko from Living Word Bible Institute in Manitoba, Canada. We run to the altar, it's all t- and God multiplied it. And I can tell other people, and, it, and, that's, and it multiplies, and it's enough to give out for every. It's an amazing miracle that happens. I just know one thing. God wants people to eat well. 
I'm going to say it again. If you believe that, you can amen that. God wants people to eat well. He wants to fill them with good stuff himself, the truth, right? Jesus says to me, and he says to you this morning, you feed them. But no, he said that just to his disciples. He's not saying it to us. Oh, no. Brothers and sisters, you're not getting out of that. Read the rest of the New Testament, and you will hear, you feed them. You feed them. You feed them. Just as the disciples were asked to group people and bring order to their task, so we too are to organize and make a plan of attack to meet the needs of the people who are waiting to be fed all around us. What's your plan of attack? I want to be passive and laid back. God, you're in control. You do whatever you want. That's fine. It's true. I mean, what, you, you, can, you can choose to do that. But you're not going to really feed people that way. I can get so stuck in a rut because I think of my inabilities, environment, finances, lack of biblical knowledge, and forget that God still desires to do incredible things with all that little stuff. If we are people of faith, We must learn to draw from the divine resources of God, amen? And this miracle shows us that with God, small opportunities are in reality great possibilities. I believe that in the sanctuary right now, I'm looking around, I believe it with all my heart as I'm looking around, that there are enough people here, ordinary people, I'll just put it that way, right? With little things that God could multiply to turn the world upside down with them. In fact, it just needs to be one person. And that one person is you. That one person is me. That's all it takes. You you know what? VBS. There's hungry hearts that are young. And you could feed them. So see Carrie. Do you remember that video Jimmy did? The mission field? Listen, you might say all I got is one little tiny minnow. Bring it to VBS and share it. Mm. See Carrie. Well, I want to say that's the first time I came here was to see my niece in VBS. Oh, wow. There you go. All right. Praise God. You know what? Three hours for five days and your voice and your good attitude to, no, I'm not going to say deal with the kids, but to have fun with the kids. <laughs> You're going to feed them. You're going to feed him. What a field. What a field. After his resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples on the shores of Galilee, and he challenges Peter to feed his sheep. If you love me, you'll feed my sheep, he said to Peter. I did. You will as a result of your abiding in me, he tells Peter. I'm yours. You're mine. You stay close to me. And he's telling Peter, feed my sheep. Boy, did Peter feed his sheep and many other sheep that were lost. Amen. So here we go. Jesus sees the people of our world. Amen. He's moved with compassion, and so he turns to you and me, his disciples, and he says, again, you feed them. So what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? The truth is, with Jesus, no one goes home hungry. And when we participate in feeding others with Jesus, we will walk away satisfied and fulfilled. Amen? And those we feed will be satisfied. It's a It's a win-win situation. It's awesome. God does not expect the church to sit back and wait for a few people to wander into the doors. He expects that you and I would join in the work of reaching and feeding the lost people 
of Rhode Island, Connecticut, New England, wherever we go, everywhere. Are you trying to feed anyone? How many loaves of fish do you have? Do they seem minute? And you look at the magnitude of the mission and and the work that needs to be done and you say it's impossible? Give it to God. Let him multiply it so much that you'll see leftovers. People are hungry. And the only way that they'll be fed is if you and I feed them. No, we can't make them eat, but we can bring the food to them. Amen? That's your job. You're going to feed them? You're going to present the meal? That's our job. So let's feed them. Amen? As we go out this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning for this word. Lord, I pray that we would take to heart what we have heard, reminded of your great compassion that caused you to move and to feed not only the minds and even physically the bodies of people, which we ought to do as well, Lord. But Lord, you fed their spirits. Lord, you are the bread of life. Help us to share you, um, even if it's a crumb, because that crumb is enough, Lord, to satisfy souls. And you multiply. So God, take our talents, our abilities, even our inabilities and use them for your glory, Lord God, as we testify of the life-saving power of the name of Jesus and what you've done on the cross to wipe away our sins. Lord, to you be the glory. Lord, cause us, Lord, to keep your instruction in mind that we should feed them. Go with us, God, as we go. Thank you for your presence, your anointing, and that uh, you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great day. Feed them. Amen.